Amen. Good morning. Let's stand and reading of God's word. Good to see you, Grace Point. God bless all those that's joining us online. And we're glad to see you on this holiday weekend. Amen. Uh, Galatians chapter 1. I'm going to read two verses, verses 6 and 7. And the title is The Gospel, The Nearly Too Good to Be True News. Amen. That's literally what the word gospel means. It don't just mean good news. It means good news that is so good that it seems too good to be true. I mean, those the world's got to say, and if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. That doesn't apply to this. Amen? Now, most of the church today is really not preaching the same gospel that the Apostle Paul preached when the Apostle Paul preached his gospel in the epistles and to all the crowds that listened to him, he was constantly having to defend his gospel. He called it his gospel. He called it the gospel of grace. He called it the gospel of Christ. It all means the same thing. But he was having to defend it because when he would preach the gospel, people would accuse Paul of preaching that sin didn't matter, that you could sin, you shall we sin, that grace shall abound. And he said, God forbid. He was constantly having to, to defend the goodness of God and the grace of God. But the gospel that's being preached today, unfortunately, is a very different one that Paul preached because we're not having to defend it very much. Uh, the church has long thought that the uh, pure undiluted, unmixed gospel, good news, is too good to be true, so they have added back some of the law to make it palatable for religious minds. Amen? And uh, Paul came so strong out of all of his epistles that he wrote, the one in Galatians is the strongest one of any of them. It's, it's a very short epistle to the church at Galatia, and in verse 6 he says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. Paul said you're going after a different gospel. And then he says in verse 7, which is not another gospel, really it's not another gospel at all, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. Paul said you're calling it another gospel, but there's really only one gospel. Uh, there's people that think there's a lot of different gospels. There's only one gospel. How many knows that's the gospel of grace, the gospel of Christ? And uh, when Jesus described this new covenant that he inaugurated by his death, burial, and resurrection, when Jesus described it, he, he described it as new wine. New wine. Everybody say new. And he said in Luke chapter 5, verse 38 and 39, he says, but new wine must be put in a new wineskin. Now, who's the new wineskin? We get born again. We're a new creation, new creature in Christ Jesus. And, and God fills us with that new wine, which is his grace. He said, but new wine must be put in a new wineskin, and both are preserved. In verse 39, and, and no one, having drunk old wine, immediately desires new for he says the old is better. Now, Jesus is not talking about literal drinkable wine, but he's talking about the new covenant versus the old covenant. He's talking about grace versus law. And the natural man, he says, those people that's been raised up, listened to, taught, 
and tried to live by the law, rules and regulations, and by their behavior to be accepted by God. He said, these people like the old wine better, the old religion, the old way. And you know, with a lot of us, it's been harder for us to have been raised in church, that's been raised under this mixture, to really accept fully and completely the undiluted, unmixed grace of God. Because it does sound too good to be true. It's like, you mean God's forgiven everybody? You mean, you mean God's forgiven me of sins I haven't even committed yet? You mean, you mean I'm eternally, eternally secure in him and what he, yeah, yeah. And, and, that, and, and, and you know, Jesus, you've got to understand that the, the big word there is the important thing is to recognize that Jesus brought something totally new. He, he, Jesus had no intention of coming and, and putting, doing a patchwork on the old system. He actually goes on to talk about in that area, he says, nobody puts a new cloth on an old garment. Jesus said, I didn't come to patch anything. I didn't come, I didn't come to do that, but he came to bring us something much more than that, and that's the, a, a whole new covenant, a new way to approach God and a new way for God to relate to us and for us to relate to him. Amen? Amen. And so that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Amen? God bless your word as we've read it. Amen. You can be seated. You know... Unfortunately, I feel like a lot of times there, we, you know, you know, we're we're weak as individuals, and when I mean weak, I mean weak in our faith and and weak in what we believe about the finished work of Jesus. And the number one reason that we would have a a weak church or a feeble church is because we preach a feeble gospel. We we will never have a strong church, and we'll never be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might until we know the difference between the pure grace of God, the undiluted, unmixed grace, uh, and and that that most of us, and I don't mean this harsh or arrogant or or mean, it's just most of us, if we've been in church, like, you know, we've been raised on a mixture. We've been raised with a mixture of grace where you're saved by grace, but you're kept by law. Well, yes, God saved you now. He does love you, but he'll also, you know, he, he's mad at you. You know, where you, where you got to do this to get back in right relationship. And all the rules and the regulations that's thrown on you. And, and, and that, that causes us to doubt the very grace of God. So what I wanted to do, I, it'd be great if we had like two big screens up here and I could just do side-by-side parallel comparison. And you could see that this is the undiluted grace of God. This is what is the false gospel. But the false gospel, and I'm just going to run through some of them. And these are the, this is the big differences that you've got to, to get in your heart. It's got to be more than in your head. You've got to believe and know that this is the grace of God. This is the truth of God. Jesus said you'll know the truth, and the truth will do what? It'll make you free. And so the false gospel says like this, and most of us grew up on this, that you better love God. You better, you know, do your best, you know. To, how many, and you go into a church service, and I was raised on this, and the pastor would say, how many of you love God? And everybody, every hand would go up. You know, but they never ask us how many of you are loved by God. And in most churches, if you were to ask people honestly, you know, without them being prompted, how many of you know beyond all doubt that you are totally loved by God, regardless of your behavior, you are loved by God? Let me see your hand. You wouldn't see near as many hands go up. Because if they're, if they're gut level honest, they don't know that they're loved by God. You know, when I was a little kid in church, we, we started going to church when I was about uh, 11 years old. Because of the neighbor across the street asked us to. And we, we moved in the house and we, we were heathens by profession. You know what I mean by that? We didn't go to church, didn't acknowledge. 
That's just the way it was. And so the lady right across the street and her husband just was just, you know, just precious Christians. And, uh, and I'd hear that, you know, her husband would be mowing the yards and he'd be out there mowing the yards and he would just shout, you know, glory to God, hallelujah. We thought he was a little bit, you know. And they, has, they must have really thought that we were heathens. I had a, you know, uh, some years later I had a, a person call me, and we've always loved animals, and they called me and said that uh, they had a dog that they needed to get rid of. It had killed a dog, the next-door neighbor's dog, and it was a German shepherd, and they, they had to get rid of it. And did I want it? And I said, sure, I'll take it. And I remember we went and picked the dog up, and the dog we put the dog in the car, and all the way home with the dog, you couldn't even look at the dog. Because he would, if you looked at him, he would start growling at you like he was fisting about you. And I can't explain why we went and wanted the dog. And listen to this. I'm not making this up. I promise I'm not making this up. The dog's name was Satan. I'm telling you the truth. Satan. And you know it never dawned on us that that was probably we needed to change his name. <clears throat> That's how much heathens we was. And so here we are living across from these devout Christian believers that shout and, and this lady taught Sunday school at her church and she, was, and she taught kids of our age, me and my brother and sister's age, and she was always asking us to come to church. <clears throat> and we'd be out in the yard calling our dog, Satan, come here, Satan, here, boy, Satan. She, they probably thought that we were just, and we wondered why we had so much trouble in demonic activity in that home, you know what I'm saying? Because we didn't know the power of words. We were constantly calling for Satan to come here. <laughs> and he did. <laughs> but we eventually started going to church with this lady. Going to Sunday school. Me and my brother. Parents wouldn't go. And she hauled us to church. And about a year later of her carrying a church, then I received Christ as my Savior when I was 12 years old. And, uh, and then later it was my whole family over the years and my parents eventually started going and, and it was just a wonderful thing that happened in our lives when, when Jesus came in. Um, sometimes the kids, the Bible says, shall lead them. A child shall lead them. And uh, so we went in and, and started going to church with this lady, just her persistence, she wouldn't give up. I remember the thing that really convinced my uh, younger brother, he wanted to go, was she said every Sunday she would put a quarter a coin, a quarter inside the Sunday school lesson that was laid on all the little metal chairs and whoever happened to sit in that chair, you know, would get the quarter. And, you know, that doesn't sound like much today, but back then a quarter, you know, you get a half a sack of candy at the store for a quarter. And uh, my brother was caught several Sunday mornings raffling through all the Sunday school lessons prior to everybody else getting in there looking for that quarter. But the false gospel says you love God. But the true gospel says God loves you. A lot of us grew up thinking that our first love was us loving God and that as if somehow we, ha we have to convince God to love us and like us. But we forget the classic passage, John 3.16, for God so loved. He didn't just love, he so loved the world. He loved, he loved the world that he gave his son. And so our first love is not us loving God. Our first love is God loving us. And, and, and you hear people say you've lost your first love. It's a biblical, scriptural, theological impossibility. You can't lose your first love because it doesn't originate with you. The first love, you, you can leave it. You can walk away from it and not enjoy the benefit of it, but you can never lose it. God will always love you. 
Because he can't help himself. God is love. He doesn't have love. He is love. Big difference. The false gospel preaches that God can forgive you. If you say the right prayers, do the right thing, be sorrowful enough that God can forgive you. But the true gospel declares that God has already forgiven you. And there's scripture after scripture after scripture in the New Testament that teaches that. 1 John 2.12 says, I write to you little children because your sins are forgiven you. Your sins are forgiven you. Without you doing anything, God does not need, and I've told you this over and over, God does not need your permission. He does not have to have it. He does not require your permission to forgive you. Just as if I can forgive you, and I don't have to have your permission. You can say, well, I don't want you to forgive me. Tough. Too bad. Already did. That's the way it is with God. Now, you don't enjoy the benefit of God's forgiveness until you put your faith in that sacrifice and receive the benefit and the joy of his forgiveness. But everybody on the planet has been forgiven by God. Everybody. And so God, through Jesus Christ and his blood, took away the sin of the world. The offense of that sin was taken away. And that's the true gospel. That's the truth of the true gospel. The false gospel says you need to get holy. You need to live holy. You need to achieve holiness. And I'm not advocating an unholy way to live. I'm, I mean, you, yeah, you should live out of the gift of holiness that was gifted you when you got born again. Ephesians 4.24 says that, that you put on the new man. Notice that's that new word again, which was. Everybody say was. That's past tense. Was created according to God in true righteousness and in holiness. And so your holiness is, is gifted to you. And so you're, whole, you're as holy as you're ever going to be. Now you're not displaying all the holiness that's on the inside of you. But as far as you being holy, that was gifted to you. You don't achieve it, you receive it. You believe in the gift of holiness, the gift of his righteousness. And then we want to live out of that revelation and we want to manifest of that to, to the people that are not born again. All they can see is what they can see. And, but, but I was raised in my early years, my granddaddy was a holiness Baptist preacher. Now, I'm not knocking that denomination. It still exists. There's wonderful people in that. But, but we were raised, you know, holiness is what you do. My granddaddy was raised on that. And so holiness to them, you could spot those holiness people, you know, at the, at the restaurants because they dressed a certain way and they behaved a certain way and they didn't have televisions in their home and the women didn't cut their hair and they didn't wear britches and they didn't put on makeup and they, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, and they thought that was holiness. And, and, and it was, you know, they were just, they were doing their best and it's a, it's a, it's a horrible way to live your life. I, I, I lived a lot of that myself. I told you when Jill and I, we were first married, her family had a, a reunion, I guess we'd call it, up at Myrtle, was it Myrtle Beach, South, is it South Carolina or North Carolina? South Carolina. And, uh, but I was still under the auspice of I got to live holy, I got to be holy, I got to behave a certain way, dress a certain way, and to be acceptable to God, to be pleasing to God, and to be holy. And so I was raised like that. And so when we were first married, I didn't even own a pair of shorts because that wasn't holy to wear shorts. And I told you I went up with her family, and most of them were Baptists, which I considered to be slightly better than heathens back then. Because, I mean, it's like, bless their hearts, they're going to hell. And they're, you know, anyway, they don't know no better. And, but I was wholeness. And so we go to the beach, and I've always loved the beach. But it's like when I got saved, I had to give up the beach. I had people telling me in the church I was raised, you can't go to the beach anymore because you're a Christian. I remember the guy gave me an example, he said, and I said, you can't go to the beach? And he said, no, you can't go to the beach. 
because he said, let me ask you this. He said, if you go to the grocery store and, and you walk around the grocery store and you see all that food, what are you going to think about? Food. He said, so if you go to the beach, it's going to be the same way. You're going to look around all them naked people, you know, half naked, whatever. He said, what are you going to be thinking about? That's why you can't go to the beach. Well, it sounded, sounded logical to me. And I remember being young, uh, even young married in church, I would be offended with other uh, members in our church if I heard they went to the beach. I'd be like, you lukewarm, half-backslid person, you. Because I wanted to live right. So I'm at the beach up there with her family reunion, and I go swimming because I like the ocean. I love it. And I'm out there in long uh, jeans and a shirt, almost drowning with the weight of the water on those Wranglers. You know what I'm saying? And I remember them, I could, you know, I could sense stuff. I remember them looking at me like I was stupid, and I'm looking at like y'all all going to hell. I'm the only one that's, you know. And it was just ridiculous. And I remember, you know, I could see them, you know, the whispers and like, what kind of guy did she marry, you know? But she was sweet. She never said, like, that's stupid or anything. She just let me kind of do my thing, you know. But over the years, kind of figured it out. As I read the Bible and I saw this is not what makes a person holy. It made me miserable. I remember, you know, I had a guy at church. And, and the rules never stop with that kind of deal. People just make up stuff. Somebody told me, well, you can't wear your wedding ring because that's considered jewelry, so that's ungodly. I remember I took my wedding ring off, and my wife's like, what do you, we were, hadn't been married all that long. I said, you know, I can't wear my wedding ring. One guy even told me I couldn't wear a watch because it was jewelry. And so I remember I took my wedding ring. I said, I'm just not going to wear that because that's jewelry, you know, it ain't pleasing to the Lord. She said, well, I'm going to quit wearing mine too then. I said, well, I'm going to put mine back on <laughs> Can't turn you loose that hand without some, some markings. <laughs> but I remember we were raised and taught that if you had a beard or facial hair, that was a sin. Uh, even silly stuff. My, you, I know this sounds like a, just a weird cult, right? My, you couldn't even wear a tie in the church that we my, the holiness, my granddad was raised. You could not wear a tie. They call wearing a tie you trying to be like Hollywood and. And, and stuff like that. And it, it was just, so the rules never ended. Listen, the, holiness is a gift. Holiness is not what you do. Now, I, I'm not advocating just, you know, I mean, wear clothes, you know, please. I mean, you know. <laughs> the false gospel says you are the Lord's servant. You just want to be a servant of God. But the true gospel says you're no longer a servant, you're a son. And see, a lot of people want to have that kind of a slave mentality. You know, the Lord's master, I'm slave. He's servant. Just tell me what to do, God, and I'll do it. That's not the relationship God wants with you. When Jesus said to his disciples, and he said it to all of us, no longer do I call you servants, but I call you friends. Right? And then as soon as he was resurrected from the grave, first thing he said is he said to the woman that was there at the, at the tomb, Go tell my brethren, he called them brethren, that I will go before them and I will meet them in Galilee. So Jesus exalted that relationship. And he is our elder brother. And so the relationship is different. And God don't want a master-slave mentality in your heart or in your mind. God don't want that and will not participate in that type of relationship with you. You're not a servant, but do you serve God? Yes, but I am not my wife's servant, but I serve her. She would tell me yesterday, she said, I, you know, you keep me busy just by, you know, dealing with the clothes. You're always washing anything that's 
in the hamper. I watch it. That's something I can do. I'm good at that. I like to keep that thing emptied for her. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and towels and all that, I fold them. Don't know, baby girl. Now, I, don't, you know, I, have, I don't put them up because she got certain towels that go to certain areas, you know. I don't, can't figure that out. You know, that don't go there. No, <laughs> that will, you know. And the nice towels go to the back bedroom bathroom where nobody uses that one. <laughs> the thinner, more worn towels go in our bathroom. <laughs> anyway, I can't figure that out. But anyway, hallelujah. So I'm not saying we don't serve God, but we're not servants any longer. We serve God out of our love and relationship with him, but we're not servants of God. Does that make sense? So the false gospel points to your badness, but the true gospel points to his goodness. I think you heard a couple of songs about that this morning, right? The false gospel preaches sin consciousness and constantly tells you to turn from sin. But the true gospel says nothing about sin because God's son took it away and it says turn to Jesus. Because if you turn to Jesus, you've automatically turned away from all sin. True or not? And so it doesn't make sin our focus because if the sacrifice worked, Hebrews taught us, then there is no more consciousness of sin. It doesn't mean that you sin and you're not aware of it. That's just stupid. It just means that your focus is not on sin. Your focus is on Jesus. The Bible says lay aside every sin and the weight thereof that so easily besets or hinders us. And then it gives a comma, and the next verse says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. So it tells you how to overcome sin. It's not focusing on sin. It's focusing on Jesus. That's how you overcome sin. Not talking about sin, counseling about sin, thinking about sin, trying to beat sin, and whip sin. You can't beat it, defeat it. Jesus already has. And so the true gospel says Jesus has set us free. The false gospel says Turn from sin. True gospel says turn to Jesus. The false gospel says God will bless you if you do the right thing. If you do X, Y, Z, then God will bless you. But the true gospel says you have already been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. That's Ephesians 1 verse 3. Is that right? It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us, not going to, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. If God has blessed you with every spiritual blessing, what spiritual blessing are you now seeking? What are you trying to get that you say he lied and didn't give you? Every spiritual blessing was placed in your spirit when it was born again. God gifted that to you. You may not realize it, you, 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 may not, you may not know that it's there, but, but that's why there's preaching like this, so that to awaken you to the revelation of what Jesus did for you. I told you I, I spent decades praying for the anointing, not knowing that the New Testament said several times that you now have an anointing, the anointing which you now have received, the anointing that dwells within you. And so I, I wasted so much prayer time. I, I fasted for the anointing, not knowing that I already had it. But if you don't believe you have it, guess how you will live your life? You will, you will live your life as if you don't have it. And you will be constantly seeking it. And you will always wonder why God don't answer your prayer in that area. Because he's already given it to you. It would be like you pray, somebody, you know, somebody gives you something and then you pray for them to give you that something. You already have it. 
Use it. Stop asking me for it. I gave it to you years ago. That's the way it is with God. God's already given you the anointing. So now I still mention it in my prayers. Even this morning I said, God, thank you for the anointing that, that dwells on the inside of me. For the anointed one lives on the inside of me. And I pray as I go to that pulpit today that I will yield myself to that anointing that's on the inside of me and that I will allow that anointing to flow through me out to the people today. See, that's a different prayer than, oh, God, please anoint us today and, and you know, we want it to come. We don't you know, none of that no more. But if you don't know it, see, it's that, it's, it's that myth of more. More, Lord, just more of you is all we want. See, that's, that's, that, that is calling God Maybe not intentionally, but a liar. God has already given you every spiritual blessing. You, there is no more. The Bible says you, when you got born again, you were given the fullness of God in Christ. You have the fullness, not the halfness, not the three-quarterness. You, you, know, you have the fullness of God. There is no more for God to give you. More of you, less of me. God's given you everything. He gave you everything. You, you're not manifesting it. You may be ignorant of it. You may not be realize that God has done that. That's why there needs to be preaching like this to awaken you. But you, you, you may not know it's there. I, I spent decades not knowing. I wish somebody had came along and told me that I could have eaten more food. I could have not fasted as much because I prayed for many things that I already owned and had. I didn't realize it. I prayed for the mind of Christ. Oh, God, I pray that you give me the mind of Christ. Paul said we have the mind of Christ. Not that we'll get it if we try hard. We have the mind of Christ. Well, I, how, where is the mind of Christ? It's in your spirit. Why do you think the Bible tells you don't be double-minded? You can't be double anything unless you have two or something. So you have your natural mind. That's your regular human mind, your educated mind, uneducated mind. That's your natural mind. That mind there is being renewed by the Word of God. But so, and you can lean on your natural mind. You can lean on your own understanding, and, and, and it will not profit you. But you can lean on the mind of Christ. Father, I know that I have the mind of Christ. I know that in, in me resides that that you've given me. And, Father, let me yield myself to the mind of Christ in this situation. Don't, me, don't let me make a, a sense-based, you know, smell, touch, taste. Don't let me make a decision based on what I see, smell, touch, or taste. Let me make a decision based on the truth of your spirit. And so it's just a whole different way to live. So the false gospel drives you with the law. Keep you in line. Keep you threatened a little bit. You know, okay. But the true gospel draws you with cords of love, it says. God draws you with love. If you ever feel a spear in your back, that's not the Holy Ghost. Huh? He's leading you. He's guiding you. A guide is a guide. You wouldn't think a guide, you know, well, I'm going to have this guide's going to lead me on this, you know, trail or tour of homes or whatever. And all of a sudden they pull out a weapon and stick it in your back and say, go here, go. That's not a guide. That's a gangster. <laughs> Y'all with me? The false gospel said God gives and takes away. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. But the true gospel said God gives and all of his gifts are irrevocable. Never takes them away. Romans eleven twenty nine. the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. See, that's the truth. You know, but people love to quote Job. Lord giveth, Lord take away. Jesus giveth, don't take away. <laughs> that's the truth. Amen. The false gospel says repentance is what we do in response to sin. 
and we grew up on that. But the true gospel says repentance is what we do in response to his love. Now you have to define what repentance means. And I know some of you know this, some of you this is new. But the word repentance means to think differently. It doesn't mean to cry and tell God how sorry you are for being bad or doing bad things. Repentance is not that. Repentance means think differently. So the preaching of the gospel is repent. Think differently about what? About everything, about your approach to God. You, it's, it's through grace. So you think differently, and that's, that's what the word repentance means. And uh, anyway, but I, I hear, I, I haven't heard that used wrongly since yesterday. <laughs> and, and, I, and I, anyway, I called, you know, a person in another town, another city, and I got their voicemail. And, and it's sweet that you want people to be born again and all, and you leave that on your voicemail. But it was a little, you know, 30-second, basically, you, you, you got, I couldn't wait. I had to wait. I had to listen to the gospel to, you know, to leave a message. But it was repent of your sins was the message. Repent of your sins. If you do that, he'll save you. you know? And it was mostly true. <laughs> but it was, the, you know, it made sin the focus. You, were t you know, that makes you the Savior. You, you, no, you, you're not the Savior. You're not saved by what you do. You're saved by what you believe. Or rather, who you believe in, right? I'm almost done now. Y'all ready to go get some chicken or something? <laughs> the, the, the false gospel says God can. God is able. But the true gospel said God has already done it. The false gospel said God gives people sickness to help them grow in their faith. The true gospel said God heals you of all of your diseases and forgives all your iniquities. That's the truth. God can't give you diseases. God doesn't do that. God's not the author of that. And yet we still, you would think after a while people would stop saying that, but they don't. I hear it all the time. That's a false gospel. The false gospel says God is counting your sins and you must repent of each of them one by one in order to make heaven your home. Uh, the true gospel says, God said, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Hebrews 10, 17. And it says it numerous times in the New Testament. And so if God don't remember your sins, why do we go around always saying the Holy Spirit convicted me of that sin? The Holy Spirit is God. He's not convicting you of sin. He's convinced and trying to convince you that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. False gospel says you need to strive to please the Lord. You need to live your life always trying to please God. And that is a hamster wheel that you never arrive at. You just run. I, I, I lived that way. I guess I, I preach so passionately about this stuff because I've already, I mean, I've got the bruises and the scars. You don't need to do it. it it's religion. It's busy work, waiting on the rapture, whatever. The, the, the false gospel says you need to strive to please God. The only thing the New Testament ever told anybody, and it's in Hebrews, to strive to do was strive to enter into his rest. How about that one? 
Why would you have to strive to enter into rest? Because you got to wade through all the religious legalism and all the false rules and all that stuff. And so, you know, and I told you I preached that and I've wrote a blog on it many years ago, you know, talking about I please God. I please God. And feeling them, you guys even got me a shirt. I please God. You made me a t-shirt. I please God. I never was brave enough to wear it out anywhere in the mall somewhere. But I should have just as a test, you know. What do you mean you please God? How dare you? Man, Jesus said so many things. If he'd have posted his words on Facebook, he'd have got grilled. They'd have piled on him so hard. Stuff Jesus said, how dare you? But you, so without faith, it is what? Impossible to do what? So, okay, so that's real clear. Without faith, you can just forget it. You're not going to please God. So there's one thing that pleases God, and that is faith. Now, is that faith in your faith? No, that's faith in a person. And so when you put your faith in Jesus Christ and his sacrifice and what he did and accomplished, then that pleases God. And if you're in Christ, I told you that why did God save you and put you in Christ? If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. God put you in Jesus so he could treat you like Jesus. I told God that this week. It hit my mind. I was riding down the road. I said, Thank you for putting me in Jesus where you could treat, treat me like Jesus, love me like Jesus, favor me like Jesus. <laughs> anyway, you already please God if you're in Christ. A false gospel is man-centered gospel. It's like, I must do this. I've got to do that. I've got to perform. I've got to walk the line. I've got to overcome this. I've got to be victorious in this. But the true gospel is not man-centered. It's Christ-centered. Totally different. Jesus saves me. Jesus keeps me. He who begun a good work in me shall, shall carry it on, and he'll bring it to his full completion. That's my confidence. It's in him. That, that what he begun in me, he's going to bring it to an end. He's the one that's going to do that. Amen? Guys, it's totally different. And, and, and your mind doesn't automatically revert to the truth, undiluted. See, we've watered down the true gospel. And how we watered it down is we poured law back into it. Because it makes us feel better because people love rules. And, you know, and really as far as my nature, how I'm kind of wired, I really like rules. <laughs> I really do. Uh, I like order. I guess it's not so much that I like rules as much as I like order. And to have order, you got to have rules. <laughs> and so I, 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 you know, I worked at the Merchant Medical Service, and it wasn't the military, but we had that kind of a military, uh, you know, had rank, and we had sergeants and lieutenants and captains and, and so forth. And it was somewhat, you know, military in that regard. Uh, and, so, but, and so there were times I worked under different chiefs. That was our chief at the Merchant Medical Service where I worked, and and I remember we had one guy that was a military guy. He was he was like he'd done twenty years in the military, and to me he was the best chief man. He, but buddy, shoes shine. I mean, he had them patent leathers on, and he would say, "Shine them shoes." And we had other we had paramedics like, "What does it matter if my shoes are shine? You nobody know, had a car wreck care if I got shine shoes or not, you know." And and, and them guys, they'd, you know, we had white shirts, but their shirt they kind of worked be beige looking, you know. I mean. Use some bleach on that thing, brother. Bring that thing back to white. You know what I'm saying? I mean, they did, but, but that guy would, you know, he, he, as they say, he run a taut ship. And I functioned better 
My nerves were better working under that kind of environment and in that atmosphere. And then, of course, I got to be chief, you know, and spent 12 years in that position. And, and I had a guy call me this past week. It was one of my guy. He's a guy I hired. He still works there. He was telling me about a, a guy that we had that had died and, and um, telling me about the funeral and all that. And, and, uh, but he said, and he still calls me chief because that was my title, chief. And he said, uh, chief, he said, uh, man, I tell all these, he said, it's just me. And then Becky was my secretary. She said, just me and Becky, we the only ones left up here anymore. I had the old crew, we the only ones left. He said, I, I'll tell all these young guys now, y'all would never made it under Chief uh, Dale Young's administration. Y'all would never made it. And I still hold the longest tenure of any chief that they've ever had since they've been in the service. We'll see if it holds. But, but I love order, and I love that. But, but it's, so it was easy for me to get caught up in the law and go, well, this is how it is, and this is what pleases God, and these are the things that I must do and keep doing in order for God to like me. And so there would be times that I didn't do so well, and then I would feel like God was angry with me. I feel like the trouble that was going on in my life was due to the things that I have done, that God was paying me back. God, I, that God was more like, okay, you made your bed, now you sleep in it, and all that kind of deal. And that's not who God is at all. But I lived my life under that for a long, long time. And it's... And it's and, I don't want no one to have to live like that any longer. It's just not the truth. And I don't know why it took me so many years to come to the, to the, to the and I'm still growing, okay? I'm still not arrived at some pinnacle of the temple here, but, but man, I, God's so much better. It's such a better deal than I thought we had. And, and now a grace is amazing grace. How sweet to sound now, really. We used to sing amazing grace like it was a funeral dirge. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's like amazing grace, but nobody seemed to be amazed. <laughs> you know? And all I ever heard, I grew up in church, and all I ever heard about grace was greasy grace. And don't think you're going to slide in and, you know, hell's going to be hot and turn or burn and all that stuff, man. That's not God at all. That didn't draw me closer to God. That made me afraid of him. But I'm so glad that's not who he is, and that's not the gospel that Jesus came to bring us. And the more that we realize that, you know what? The more you'll live a life that is more like what you wanted to live when you were trying to do it. But you're in Christ, and Christ is in you, and that's the hope of glory. Amen? Stand with me today. God bless you. We love you guys. Appreciate you being here. And uh, let's just pray. Father, we love you, and we're loved by you. We thank you that we respond to your grace. We respond to your love. We respond to the finished work of the cross. And I pray today that, that we would see the difference in the pure, undiluted, unmixtured grace of God. That, that I pray that we live out of that and we manifest that because this world is so desperate to hear the truth, to see the truth. We're living epistles read of all men. Help us to display an accurate representation of who our Father is and how your kingdom functions. Father, we pray that today in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. amen. God bless you, Grace Point. We love you.